Hello. Now, in the last episode on the podcast, we spoke with Talena Edwards, who is the architect for the Our Woods Passive House Project. So this is a family home located in Victoria, and Talena shared what her role has been in designing the home, working with the team, and helping her clients realise their dreams for their forever home. In this episode, we meet Luke Plowman of Detail Green. So Luke is a Passive House Certified Consultant and Building Certifier. In fact, he's only one of uh, two Passive House Certified building certifies in the country and there's only about 50 worldwide and uh, as I said he's only one of two and we have the second one Claire Parry on the podcast as well so you're being super spoiled you've got the two only passive house certified building certifiers both on the podcast I'm so excited so you know if there's any building certifiers listening to the get it right podcast go get your passive house certification so that we can improve those numbers because um, Luke and Claire both have their hands full I think so Luke was brought in on the Al Woods Passive House Project because Talena, the architect, she wasn't certified yet. And so he assisted with reviewing and auditing the design, running it through the Passive House modeling tool and providing feedback and advice on what needed to be included and amended in order for the home to reach its required benchmarks. So let's dive in. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together, we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Now, before I jump into the uh, interview with Luke, let me tell you that this episode is brought to you by my online course, How to Get It Right in Your Reno or New Home. This is a super fast course that will help you get ready for your renovation or building project in the best way possible. In it, I share my step-by-step system to help you save time, money and stress in your project so that you can know what you need to know and create the perfect home for you simply and with confidence, avoiding the dramas and the heartaches. Now you can join now, you can get access to a fantastic Facebook community, live Q&A sessions with me and all the tools and resources that you need to achieve success in your project and create a home that feels great. So head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash how to get it right to learn more about the course, uh, what's involved, what's included and to join us now. So let me introduce Luke Plowman from Detail Green. So Detail Green has a wealth of building design, engineering, construction and sustainability performance experience. This includes both local and international projects in residential, commercial, industrial and educational buildings across multiple green building standards. Luke is a sustainability engineer and with 15 years experience, he's been involved in a wide range of green building and sustainability projects across Australia. And he's a director of Detail Green, which is based in Beechworth in Victoria. Now, with a background in the commercial building industry and all of those green building qualifications, Luke actually provides specialist environmentally sustainable design input to all areas of the built environment. And he's also a certified passive house consultant and building certifier, as I mentioned earlier, and he's one of Australia's most experienced passive house professionals. I'm really looking forward to sharing this interview uh, that I have with Luke with you. I think you're going to learn a lot. So let's dive in now. 
Well, Luke, thank you so much for joining me on the Get It Right podcast. It's fantastic to be able to speak to you. You've got actually a really interesting role when it comes to the Owlwoods um, Passive House and generally in what you do in your uh, working life. And I think you're going to provide some great information and advice to the UA community because what I'm sensing as we start learning more and more about Passive House is what a sophisticated system it is in, in predictively determining exactly how the house will be used, what the energy loads are going to be, and being able to set up a design and a built solution that really deals and responds to that to be able to then you know, moderate internal temperature and really um, help that break between inside and outside so that you can really control your indoor environment. So I'm really excited to be talking to you because I think there's going to be some you know, fantastic insights that will come from um, our chat. Can you tell me, I'm asking everybody this because I think it's really interesting to hear people's different definitions of it, but what do you, when somebody says to you, what's Passive House, what's your response? Yeah, I guess that's a you do get asked that question a lot. Um, usually it's like, oh, what's the difference from a standard house to a passive house? Um, and I guess it, it's, you know, I guess it's a building done right. Um, it's more thoroughly analysed. Um, thermal bridges are taken into account. Uh, it's a low energy building that's pretty much guaranteed to be thermally comfortable year round, regardless of the weather. I guess that's a, that's a brief snapshot of a passive house. Fantastic. And what's your role been and continues to be on the Owlwoods Passive House? Because David mentioned to me we're a couple of months away. They're predicting that construction will be completed the end of January. Yep. So, um, yes. so what's your role been in that project? Yeah, so on this project I'm working as the what we call the Certified Passive House Designer. Uh, so in this role I'm working with Talina Edwards, the architect, uh, and helping her uh, make sure her design can meet all of the Passive House benchmarks. So that's, I guess, the ESD consultant, the building, building physicist role, um, I guess, running the, the Passive House modelling tool, which is called the PHPP, uh, and then feeding that information back to Talina um, during the design. So we sort of analysed the design and made sure that it could be a Passive House because originally it wasn't designed to be, uh, and it was sort of Passive House got added in at the end, which is fine. Um, so we managed to just get it there over the benchmarks. Um, done a bunch of analysis, fed that back to Talina's documentation, and then during construction, working with Stuart, uh, if an issue comes up or a detail, he can't build it the way it was originally drawn, uh, making sure that all uh, still meet, everything is still um, meets all the, all the relevant requirements in terms of thermal bridging and, and in some internal surface temperatures uh, so that uh, he can continue on with the construction. Um, yeah, and then at the end of the job, when it's done, I'll be working with Claire Parry, the building certifier on this project, uh, making sure that she has all the relevant documentation to issue the Passive House certification documents. So, yeah, it's kind of a role from the really from the start all the way through construction to the finish of the project. Yeah, because um, David, the owner or the client, described that it wasn't it wasn't it didn't start out as a passive house. It started out as a sustainable mm. house. And Talina's definitely learnt, obviously, she's then pursued her certification um, in Passive yep. House whilst she's been working on this project. So, but I found it really interesting because I think that a lot of people would just assume that if they're going about designing a passive house, it has to kind of look a certain way and be limited by a bunch of constraints. Mm. And when you look at this design, it's this beautiful pavilion-style home that, you know, is obviously being set up to work for um, David and Yvonne's demands of what they want from being able to live in it. And um, David described that there was this iterative process between, you know, himself and Talina and then you as changes would be made, modelling would be done and there'd be these tweaks and changes to be able to then get the modelling to work. And, you know, I found mm. that a really interesting process because I would think that a lot of homeowners would think that it's kind of just a, a design check kind of run mm. through, whereas this sounds so collaborative 
and the testing and the checking along the way. Is that, you know, in your role in detail, in, in your business detail, Green, is this the kind of role that you normally perform or do you do other things? How do you normally work? Because I understand, you know, as we said in the introduction, you're one of currently two certified certifiers <laughs> in the country. Yes. So how do, you, how do you normally work in detail, Green? Yes, we do a bunch of, I guess, in a passive house building, we can do either the certified passive house designer role, which I'm doing for this particular project, or a building certified, and you can't do both. Um, so, yeah, look, passive house in the last four years has become probably 75% of our work now, uh, which is great. Um, and I guess, touching on your earlier point there, that there's a really big difference between uh, the NATHER system, which is, you know, the building code compliance, which is done as that sort of check at the end, and, yep, you made your six stars, away you go. Uh, versus Passive House where an integrated design is really critical uh, right from the start. And I guess, you know, overseas um, where the climate is a lot colder or hotter, um, yes, you must design, you must have that Passive House consultant involved from the start. And in any commercial building, you would really need to do that. But here in Australia, our climate's pretty mild, really, uh, even though a lot of us Victorians think it's a cold part of the world. It's not. <laughs> um, so um, we were lucky in this project that we could get, without changing the floor plan, which has a very high surface-to-floor area ratio, we were able to get it over the line um, just. It's right on the upper limit of the heating benchmark. But um, so the climate works to our favour. And... Um, you know, I guess, and I think Talina's learnt too, that if we started again, the building would have a more compact form. So, yes, some passive houses and particularly European ones all look quite similar because of it's really critical to be able to build it cost-effectively uh, to have a really compact building form. Whereas us here in Australia, we can do these lovely big pavilion-style single-storey buildings and we can still have passive house, so we're lucky. Gotcha. Okay. And so what does it actually mean to be a certified passive house consultant? What is, what's required in terms of, I mean, in, from your background and transitioning into what you do now, what does, yep. what's it meant for you and, you know, sort of why you've taken it on? Yeah, I guess it, um, I, I, everybody has a passive house journey and I guess mine started with, a, um, I was working for a big engineering consultancy in sustainability and green buildings, but in the commercial space mainly. Uh, and I had a colleague who came from the UK and he started talking about the passive house standard and how you get heat a house with a hairdryer. And I thought, wow, wow. That's, that's pretty amazing. For a UK um, person to say that, definitely. <laughs> yeah, it is, but theoretically it's true. Um, so passive house was really just getting started in Australia then and Claire and David, who started APFA, um, arranged for a training course here and I was in that, so that first locally run training course in Australia. That's the Australian had- Passive House Association. Yeah. Yep. So previously, prior to that, um, a few people like Claire went to New Zealand to do her training. A couple of people went to Ireland to do it. Um, so I was in that first course. And then, yeah, once you get the passive house bug, there's no going back. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you, once you realise it's a better way to design and build buildings, you know, you're kind of in. Um, and so, yeah, that was really – it was good to get in at the early stages, I guess. Um, and the passive house consultant course is about two weeks full-time. Uh, a lot of building physics, and the course is really designed at um, making sure you understand the principles behind Passive House. And, and they throw in a really hard exam at the end just to make it uh, round it off. Uh, <laughs> so I guess it's well suited to technically minded architects or to engineers, which is my background. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess we've moved into Passive House, and, and once you're passionate about it and start talking to potential clients, you convince a few and then a few more, and then it's really, in the last 12 months, it's really taken off. Uh, and we're just being swamped, which is a fantastic way to be. So, yeah, it's great. 
yeah, it's yeah. a good problem to have, isn't it? Particularly mm. if it's work that you love doing and you can, you know, incredibly passionate about. I'm finding, you know, as I said before, we jumped on the interview that um, the, every time I meet a professional who's working in the passive house arena, um, and this has been overseas as well, incredibly passionate about it being mm. a better solution for um, for homes in general. So I think yeah. it's um, it's lovely to see it becoming um, sort of penetrating the Australian market more and there being mm. this infrastructure now for, of professionals who are gaining training and and uh, and getting themselves skilled up in being able to help homeowners in this way. So, and it is that one of those things. I think as as it becomes part more part of the conversation, um, and people understand that it's not just a piecemeal approach. This is something that's also becoming very evident. It's a whole building system that needs to be thought about. Um, comprehensively and cohesively and how the building gets put together, um, then, yeah, I think that the benefits will definitely start to um, become apparent to people uh, in terms of it being a really good choice for them. So, um, hmm. yeah, and I think when the, once we get a few more completed projects, so, uh, you know, we're at about a dozen or 14 or 15, um, I've got another five or six that are nearly, nearly finished um, and a few more passive house open days, um, and it's interesting to see. You know, we've got a number of new clients who actually been to an open day and said, "Yeah, this is what I want." Um, so, yeah, and, and those passionate people who have finished passive houses and allow them to be opened up and people to come in every year is amazing. Um, and yeah, you know that I think people neither have to see it to believe it because uh, they say, "Oh, it's a mild climate; we don't need this super insulation." But you actually go inside one and say, "Oh, wow! Actually, this is really amazing." Um, so that's, I think, you know, I think the growth is only going to accelerate from here. Yeah. Well, David was mentioning that there was something like 140 odd people that came to their, the construction site of their home mm. on sustainable house day. So it is clear yes. that there's this growing interest. And I think it, it, it's like you say, a lot of the times it, it requires, um, a lot of generosity on the parts of the early adopters mm. to be able to share this information yep. with the general public so that it, it can be seen not as this mysterious, expensive, out of reach thing, but it's actually just mm. an alternative way of doing something. So that pays dividends in the long run. So, um, can I ask you, you know, uh, Daniel was on the podcast and he, you know, he was very clear about the fact Passive House is not a trademark, it's not something that, you know, um, is is locked down, but there's obviously a benefit for using a trained and certified professional. I mean, is a is a, is a Passive House not really a Passive House until it's certified, you know, through the Passive House system? How? What's your thoughts on that in terms of how homeowners need to have some certainty, I suppose, about how they're going about doing this for their projects? Yeah, that's an interesting one. And the Passive House Institute do allow um, a building to be listed on their database as a Passive House uncertified, but as long as it has what we call the PHPP, so the Passive House model completed and shows that it does meet the benchmarks. Um, I guess certification is a quality assurance process. As I said before, you know, I can't be the Passive House certifier and the Passive House designer in one. It has to be separate. Um, so it's a real quality assurance role. And um, I guess it provides, you know, we find the clients this comfort that they know they're going to get what they ask for. Uh, and that's really the big selling point of certification quality assurance. Um, you know, it's not a big additional cost, um, but I guess the rules are very strict. And so a certified building, yeah, really a certified passive house, you can't really market your building as a, a passive house unless it has a certificate. But yeah, it, there is some um, very generous flexibility really from the Passive House Institute to allow people who have sort of done the work but not gone through a certification to at least show their building is uh, built to passive house principles. Um, yeah, so it's a it's 
it can be considered a little grey. And I think for most people, um, particularly in the early days for us, where there aren't that many trained people, having a trained professional does make sure that you'll get the result that you're looking for um, because it is a big leap in technical input compared to a standard design process. Um, so, yeah, the value is definitely there and the risk of not using professional and ending up with uh, an airtight building that's not ventilated or a wall system that has moisture problems, um, you know, can lead to significant issues down the track. So certainly recommended that somebody use, yeah, you use a qualified professional to help you, whether that's your architect or a separate consultant like myself. Um, yeah, I think the value is definitely there. And and just in terms of that modelling, this question's a bit sort of out of field, but I know, I mean, when I was chatting to Daniel about the modelling and how the modelling works, in, you know, it's obviously a piece of computer software that you're plugging detail and information into and data into for it to output your benchmarks and your measurements. Uh, how how much resolution do you have to have in the design in order to get meaningful information out of that modeling tool? Like how, you know, we had an energy efficiency rater earlier on the podcast in this season, and she explained that it can be done quite as sort of a, from a conceptual point of view, because you can, I suppose, assume and predict some of that information. How do you find, you know, working alongside a designer um, or working as a designer in that process to, to do that work? Um, and give the give the client some direction and some confidence along the way, so that you're not, mm. you know, you're able to get that information early and keep growing it. That process of working in the software and just how much time's involved, and you know, mm. I'm picturing this really kind of complex where you're punching in a whole heap of, you know, <laughs> and sitting there with yeah. a ruler over drawings and all this yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. stuff. Plenty like, of what, that. Is that, what does that actually look like? And and yeah, how yeah. how what kind of resolution do you need? I guess there's, there's two questions there. The, the yeah. first one is uh, when do you do the first analysis and um, always from a concept design, really, as long as you've got, um, you know, you need to, the less design info, the more assumptions you need to make. Uh, so the starting point, quite often we would do before someone, if they have to submit a DA or a planning application, um, we would do a preliminary assessment there, um, particularly with overlooking issues and window sizes, shading, overshadowing issues. Um, so our process typically is from completion of concept design, we'll do a, a first cut model. Uh, make a bunch of assumptions and work out what insulation and what we need to do to get the building to the passive house benchmark. And then that then gets refined as the design progresses. So um, I guess the initial assessment is really uh, critical in terms of um, understanding the form of the building and and perhaps tweaking the the building form before any planning applications go in. Um, And then, yeah, refine it from there. So sometimes we get approached, I've got a, you know, someone comes to me with their drawings, can I make this a passive house? that's a painful way to do it because either the building is inefficient or we need more insulation or we have to say, oh, sorry, you're going to have to change the design or go back and get a new planning permit because you need more windows on the north or something like that. Um, so it's best to be involved early. Um, and, yeah, if really from, from that sort of planning level application is when we would start doing some analysis. And In I, terms of – Yeah, sorry, keep go going. On. No, no, you keep going. <laughs> okay, so the second bit was the modelling and the computer. Um, the, the PHPP is really interesting. Um, it's not a black box. Uh, it's actually based on Microsoft Excel. Um, the PHI developed it in the early 90s, so it's 25 years of Excel. It's amazing. It's got about 30 different spreadsheets. They all connect together. Um, it doesn't have any graphics like the lovely, you know, like you get out of Revit or some of the other software. So it's a bit data entry-ish. It's a bit nerdish. Um, there's a lot of You do have to measure in, in elements and stick them in. There's a really fantastic SketchUp plugin that the PHI have developed. So you can take a SketchUp model, 
uh, and it has an automatic export into the PHPP, which is good. That saves a bit of time once you get used to using it. And like any computer model, the more you use it, the quicker it becomes. So, you know, three or four years ago, for a simple house, it would take me a whole day to do a first cut PHPP model. Now it takes me about three or four hours. So, yeah, like anything, you know, the more you use it, the easier it becomes. Gotcha. Jeez, uh, mm. Excel always terrifies me because if you just <laughs> delete one cell accidentally, it stuff up the whole system. <laughs> so, no, no, really... this is pretty good. It's pretty good. It, and... It's it's um, it's Excel used to its optimum, I guess. <laughs> and yeah. are, you, um, are you plugging in things like assumptions about the external colors and um and you know insulation um you know values and those types of things like is that i mean similar to how natas works and the other energy rating systems yes but a lot more detailed yeah so um different rules for measuring things but yes all everything of the thermal envelope is entered into the phpp stuff that happens inside is less relevant um yeah so all the thermal envelope is is entered uh, and then thermal bridges are calculated separately and uh, indifferent to Natter's uh, window frames and glass are entered separately and how the window is integrated into the wall system, uh, how the roof is built up is modelled differently. So, yeah, there are a number, there's a lot of work and each element of the building, how it's shaded, each window, how each individual window is shaded is, is modelled. Um, yeah, so it gives you a lot more, a lot more detail in, a lot more detail out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then give some useful Excel charts which show you where the heating load, where the heating, you know, where you're losing heat, where you're gaining heat, um, heat loads for individual windows, ventilation. You can play around with air tightness. So, a lot more advanced than Natters. Um, you know, it's similar to a dynamic um, virtual environment type software, um, but it's a steady state model. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, it's 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 very powerful and. One of the great things about the Passive House Institute is they don't sit on just produce the software and put it out there to the market. They're constantly checking it, updating it, uh, and they do a number of academic studies where they've uh, taken completed buildings and measured their performance and then checked it against the PHPP, and it's very, very accurate. So we're pretty confident that the results we get um, are really accurate and the buildings completed to data showing in Australia are showing that it's uh, just as accurate in the Southern Hemisphere as it is in Europe. So, yeah, great. I mean, I think that's fantastic as a homeowner to have, you know, as we were saying, that level of certainty at the design stage that you're committing mm. to something that's actually going to deliver what the, you know, sort of the indoor air environment and the, and the thermal qualities that you're um, investing in it, in it um, doing that. So I think are you finding, yeah. you mentioned that when homeowners, you've had, you know, you've convinced a few homeowners, that type of thing, you're finding... Um, I can imagine with you and Claire being the only two certifiers that you would be sought after. And mm. um, so in terms of how homeowners do arrive at you, are you finding that you're having to uh, do a lot of education or are you finding that they've already upskilled themselves significantly? I mean, it was clear that David had certainly learnt a lot along the way and had been very great, you know, been fantastic at, at um, understanding the, the principles and the application and those types of things as a client. So how are you seeing homeowners arrive at you and the, the journey that they're going on as they, as they mm. get into Passive House? Yeah, it's a really interesting mix. Most people, yes, have definitely upskilled. And, I think you know, with internet and Instagram and, you know, projects being built, there's so much information out there. Uh, that yes, most people who come direct um, understand what a Passive House is, the basic principles. Um, you know, these days I don't have to sell Passive House to anyone. They... they come to me and say, can you help me with the passive house? Um, I guess we've got a few regular clients where I'm working as the building certifier who some really passionate architects like Talina and a few others who really um, push passive house on their clients. So they've done all the legwork 
um, and either I'm working as the consultant to help them with their design or taking, you know, a project that a team uh, has put together and certify, you know, being the, the quality assurance role of the certifier. So, um, yeah, certainly in residential, it's all being driven by, I guess, from the bottom up, from individuals who have educated themselves. Um, you know, the commercial industry is a bit different and it's being driven by passionate organisations or individuals in organisations uh, such as Monash University is a really good example of some of their big projects going on. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I see it a bit like Greenstar back in the early 2000s. It's once we get a few more commercial passive house buildings built, it's going to really take off because uh, everyone will say, I want one of those. I want to work in a building like that, just like they did with the first Greenstar building. So, um, yeah, you know, it's changing um, and definitely... Yes, a lot of people come to us uh, as a building certifier. They know that you've got a lot of experience and if they're unsure about their project or they want to be comfortable, they've got the right team. Yes, we get plenty of people saying, I want you because you're also a building certifier. So, yeah, we're busy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm just um, I'm thinking of the building certifiers who might be listening to this podcast going, mm, I might need to go and do a course. Yeah, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah I guess the, um, the certification side of things is not the exciting side. You know, the, the bit where the interest is in building the, building the models and being that the, the consultant like I am with the Our Woods project, that's the interesting side um, and it has a bit more input. The, the certification role is really checking somebody else's work and, um, yeah, it's not as exciting but it's a really <laughs> worthwhile thing. So I guess Claire and I, you know, originally thought we were dealing with certifiers overseas uh, and it just didn't add any value to the process and it was hard to edge. You know, they didn't understand how we built things over here. They didn't understand the climate. Um, so that's why both of us sort of individually decided to go and do the certifiers course a couple of years ago. Uh, and I think now we both feel like we can certainly add value to people's project and be local and understand, yeah, give, give them a, a result, you know, help them through the process in a way that's sort of local and, and, um, uh, yeah, you know, I guess the right outcome. Yeah, and I, I think that that point about um, it being local and us, you know, in Australia having different uh, climate sort of a range, you know, climate situation compared to the the European situations where passive, I mean, passive house began in Germany, and you know, it was mm. it's been used a lot in those European climates where you have very extreme conditions. Um, mm. What one of the big misconceptions I think is, do I really need to go to this effort? You know, is it really necessary for me to do this? To the, it seems really extreme. I don't want an airtight house. I want to be able to open my windows and let the breezes through. You know, we've spoken on on a couple of the podcasts. Daniel actually joked that there was an alarm that went off in head office somewhere when somebody opened a window. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, David said the same thing. He said he was concerned that you know it was going to be something that he'd have to modify his behaviour in the house. Um, and I think that that is one of the big misconceptions is yes. just I'm going to have to completely change my behaviour um, as, as, an, as an occupant and do I really need this much effort um, and mm. resolution to get a house that works. What do you tell people about how passive house can work in a mild climate, you know, um, and, you know, in, in places like Australia and other places around the world? Yeah, I think um, I guess the first thing with my building certifiers hat on, um, there's a clause in the building certification that says uh, all occupied rooms must have an operable window. So the idea of you know fixed windows is uh, is not true, and it is a requirement. And you see a lot of Europeans actually with their passive houses in summer turn the ventilation system off and open their windows, um, and use that, and and then only run the ventilation system when it's cold. I guess for us, uh, we have peak summer where it's hot and peak winter when it's colder. So. You know, we have but plenty of mild time of year 
So no, you don't have to change your behaviour. I guess the um, you must have open windows, but the ventilation system keeps the air fresh, so the air is never stale inside the house. Um, so I guess that you know the open windows thing is um, no, you must have an open window, but also um, you can choose to open them or not. Um, if you do have them open and ventilation running in the middle of winter, that's fine. You'll use a little bit more energy, but the house will still be comfortable. Um, and then I guess for um, in our relatively mild climate, do I have to go to that effort? I guess it's not that much effort here. The big leap for us is in air tightness. Um, you know, the average house, I think CSRO test said, was about 15 air changes when pressurised. Passive house is, you know, world's best practice at 0.6 air changes. That's a big leap. That's, That's a, a huge really big leap. leap. 15 to 0.6. That's insane. Six, yeah. 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 So that, and that's the issue that some of the builders, when they first try, are really nervous about. But when you talk to Stuart, you'll find that he's done four or five now. Uh, he smashes it, as he says, no problems. He's not concerned about it at all. Um, and then I guess the effort is really in, you know, detailing out thermal bridges and things like that, which add to radiant cold or radiant heat. So to get a comfortable, you know, the, the extra you pay or the extra effort that goes in, make sure that you have a, a comfortable envelope and there's no cold spots, there's no mould risk, there's no um, dew or, sorry, um, condensation on the inside of the windows in winter, um, all these kind of things that either lead to um, you know, risk of mould growth or an uncomfortable, you know, thermally uncomfortable interior. So, you know, it's a little bit of effort up front, but um, the result is a vast improvement. Um, so, yeah, you know, our climate is mild, but if you design the, if you orient the building as you would in a, in a passive solar design, there's not that much more effort to get to passive house. Some, but not not massively. Um, a bit more in this in the Alvids project, I guess, because of um, you know it didn't start as a passive house, but you know it's still uh, being built for David's budget, so it's fantastic. And that air changes thing is that measured when you talk about air changes? Is that something that gets measured per hour or per day? Like what's that quantity that you're talking about? Yeah, so a passive house must be uh, tested to what we call a blower door test or air pressurisation test, uh, and there's a standard to which that is done. Um, and it is done, you close up all the windows and doors, um, you put the blower door, which is like a giant fan, uh, in a door, uh, and you turn it on and you measure the amount of air it can push into the building or suck out of the building, um, and that's where the air changes. So that 0.6 air changes is the passive house requirement. Uh, for you test your house. I, when I tested my house, I got eight air changes. Um, so, but there was no air tightness designed into my house. So it's, a, I guess it, it's a kind of meaningless number. Um, you know, 0.6 air changes at 50 pascals pressure difference doesn't really mean much, but I guess in terms of building physics and how the building performs, uh, it does make a big difference between, you know, a non-sealed house and a properly sealed up house. Um, and then I guess the other thing that goes with that is if you do have an airtight house, you must ventilate it. Otherwise, you know, all our breath and our cooking and our showers will make mould grow inside the house and that's not what we want. Yeah, so yeah. I think the big thing here is that there's this level of control over your indoor yeah. environment because you're managing the yep. amount of air movement in and out um, through your ventilation system and through your air tightness. And so, and then that means also that you're managing the pollutants that come in and out of the home as well. Yep. And, um, and that comment about, um, you know, walking into the houses and then feeling different, um, 
you know, would would come because of that different quality of the indoor air. I just, I think that it's one mm. of those things. I mean, I talk a lot about designing for orientation and how important that is. And I, and I think that that's one of those things that you, until you've lived in a house that's designed for orientation, you actually don't understand how much a difference mm. it makes to your quality of life. And I think yes. this is the same. It's like you say, is when we get more of these homes on the ground um, and we get more demonstration, you know, David actually said we need to check in with him in 12 months' time to see mm. how he's managed to survive a summer and a winter and, you know, that the house has actually performed as, as he planned. He said his neighbours have, um, have questioned whether he's going to be warm enough in winter and he joked that he'll be hanging around at their house if he's not. So, <laughs> But I think to be able to see that evidence over time, you know, it's one thing that you can model it in a software system, but to get that on the ground experience I think will be really fantastic. So for anybody who is thinking about going about creating either a new or a renovated passive house, what would be your tips for getting started and, and being able to make steps in the right direction for them? Um, I guess good at you know getting a good team or an architectural building designer on board who understands the basics of as you've just said solar orientation getting getting the orientation of the building right for a new building and for renovation working out you know where you can get some solar get some sun access in from so you know a passive house follows the same principles of passive design orientation uh, ventilation shading um, thermal mass is less relevant um, but yeah making sure you either buy a piece of land which has good solar access um, or, you know, renovating your house, looking for where you can get sun in, that's the first bit, and it makes it easier. You know, if you have the house facing the right way, we need less insulation, less high-performance windows to meet the passive house benchmarks. Um, and then, yeah, having a good designer is critical, you know, and we see lots of work from a range of builders and owner-builders and architects and building designers, and, yeah, you know, spending the money on a good architect, I think, makes a big difference to the result, as long as they understand uh, the principles of passive design. So a good team and then, you know, a, a passive house consultant or a builder involved who understands principles is really useful to get sort of to get started. Yeah. yeah. And it's a journey. It's a journey. That's the other thing that people need to know. It's not a, yep, tick that box and it's done. It's a journey. What do you mean by that? Uh, you can't just do it overnight um, and everyone needs to be involved from the start and will be involved all the way to the finish. I guess, you know, people don't come and go. The, the architect can't just give you some tender drawings and say, see you later. Uh, and the builder can't just make it up as he goes. He has to follow the drawings. And the passive house consultant needs to be with you all the way uh, to make sure that the design's right and then the construction is is correct as well. So, um, yeah, you can't do it in six weeks. And, um, yeah, you know, it, it it's a bit of a journey. Yeah. Do you find there's an early resistance to that? Because I can imagine then there's fees associated with having all of those different team members involved from the word go. And a lot of people do when they renovate or build their homes, they kind of silo all of the activities, they get the design done and then they move on to the drawings and they move to the builder and they'll go between in all of those phases, which I don't recommend, mm. but it's, um, it is how a lot of people kind of build and renovate. How do you find that conversation happening with people early saying well you're going to have your designer you're going to need your consultant you're going to need you know all of these different people involved to actually know that you're getting what you're paying for is that mm. just do they just go okay well that's going to be part that's the, the process I expected or what's sort of the conversation around that yeah look most people who are interested in passive house and done a bit of research are all for it because they kind of want that quality assurance they want the guaranteed outcome so they yeah, no problems. And really, when you think of it, consultants' fees are very small compared to the money they're about to spend on the house. So, um, you know, a couple of percent extra for a passive house consultant um, in addition to your architectural fees is not very much. 
So no, generally minimal resistance. It would only be a client who you had to really push over the line and then you probably don't want them as a client anyway. So um, yeah, no, minimal resistance and everyone's, I think even they feel more assured having a team involved from the start rather than going, oh, what do I do here? I've got some drawings, but you know, I've kind of been given this advice, but now I have to translate it to the builder. Whereas having some a consultant involved can sort of help with that translating architecture into construction and and um, making sure it can actually be built. Yeah, yeah. Well, I always yeah. tell the UA community that the key to a successful project is having the right team around you. And when you're doing this for the first time, you shouldn't know everything you need to know, and that it's really mm. important that you get experts to fill that expertise gap, who can yeah. collaborate and coordinate and really guide and support you on that process. So. You mentioned briefly too that the thermal mass isn't as important as it is in passive solar design. Why is that yep. not as important? Um, I guess I guess this is where air tightness comes in and thermal and removal of thermal bridges. So um, yeah, a really airtight building, we don't have you don't get the temperature fluctuation because you don't have drafts. You don't have cold air seeping in around the windows and under the doors. Um, so the internal temperature stays stable and thermal mass really works for you where you have a do have a big temperature fluctuation day to night or, um, you know, summer to winter. So, yeah, we're finding certainly you can build a lightweight passive house building um, and then in the PHPP we can make it a massive building by changing a few buttons and um, the difference is minimal. Uh, so, yeah, depending on um, how people want to build a building, uh, you can use mass, it's fine. Um, but generally lightweight construction is a bit cheaper. So, yeah, thermal mass, once you introduce air tightness and removal of thermal bridges, thermal mass is less relevant. Um, but it can be really nice. Rammed earth and stuff is something that people really love to see in their buildings, and it, it, it adds benefit, um, but it's not as necessary as in a traditional non-airtight passive solar design. Gotcha. Luke, you have just provided so much insight and information on this topic. So thank you so much for your time. It's been no uh, great to be able to speak to you and share your wisdom with the UA community. I really appreciate it. No worries at all. Thanks. How was that? Did you enjoy that interview? Isn't I mean, I just I'm finding that the 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 passive house consultants that I'm meeting that I am meeting through these interviews for the podcast, they are so passionate about Passive House as a way to build quality, sustainable and healthy homes. And they're all incredibly generous with their knowledge and advice. And I think Luke definitely showed us that with how he explained his role and the Passive House tool and how to think about it for your project. Uh, And so, you know, get in touch with Luke and tell him how much you enjoyed the episode if you did, because um, I know he'll like to hear from you. Now in the next episode, It's going to be a good one. We're going to talk with Stuart Lee of Craftsman Quality Builders. Stuart is the builder on the Alwoods Passive House Project and he's a Passive House certified tradesperson. And he's also the one who's responsible for really initiating the Passive House journey for the Alwoods Project. He's going to share with us what it's like to build one of these homes. And I think you're going to really enjoy hearing a lot of detail and the tips and advice he has to share. So you don't only, you know, you not only understand more about building a Passive House home or renovating a Passive House home and what's involved, but you actually are better prepared to work with your builder because Stuart shares some just some fantastic uh, advice and um, and gives us a really good picture of what a great quality builder uh, is and can do for your project. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to bringing that episode to you. Um, it was really great to meet Stuart. It's been great to meet everyone, actually. I just have been really enjoying creating these episodes for you and uh, what began as, you know, 
I only intended on doing one episode initially on Passive House and it's just blossomed into this fantastic um, experience of knowledge sharing and bringing some really great people and professional to, professionals to you. And I'm so grateful for their time in um, and their generosity in, in helping the Undercover Architect community in this way. So if you have been enjoying these episodes, please get in touch with me. Just shoot me an email and let me know um, or get in touch with any of the guests that you've heard on the podcast because it's always great to let them know that you've enjoyed learning from them and uh, it means that we can bring more and more information to you um, via the podcast as well. So in the show notes, there'll be links for you, remember, so go and check that out and make sure you share this podcast with others who are building or renovating their home, you know, particularly if they want to learn about sustainable design and they want to create an energy efficient home. You know, with the way that uh, electricity bills are rising, with the, what we know about our climate, I think that this is really powerful information for people who are building or renovating to be able to really improve the quality of their home overall and their lifestyle that, that um, they get to lead in it. So if you would like my personal support and guidance uh, in creating your future home, now remember to check out my online course, How to Get It Right in Your Reno or New Home. This is a really awesome way to get the knowledge that you need for your project and so whether you're early in the process, whether you're really starting to plan it uh, and really get going on it, whether you're designing, you're working with a designer, you know, it's a, it's a great time for you to be able to be, join the course and, uh, and get educated and informed in a really powerful way. Carol, who is a member of How to Get It Right, actually said, I thought I was fairly well educated in the world of renovation and design, but after taking part in the How to Get It Right program, I soon realized how much more there is to it small outlay for a big return. If you're building or renovating, you'd be mad not to dive into this learning experience. So this course, it gives you access to that learning experience. There's lessons that that lay out the steps that are involved in home renovating or building. Uh, There's also a private Facebook group, an awesome community, monthly live Q&A sessions with me. There's a library of tips and strategies, uh, key tools, resources, Q&As, so much stuff that's really going to help you save time, money and stress in your project. So make sure you head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash how to get it right to learn more about what's included and to join right away. As always, thanks so much for listening and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Bye.